G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. You might like to join in with us over this coming hour. Could be controversial. I suspect it'll be inspiring for most. Our conversation this hour might even change whatever perception you have of the Baptist Church. Now, for many centuries, Baptists reminded the wider church that defending conscience and defying tyranny in coercive eras was an imperative. The early Baptists were so radically influential that the whole church eventually came to believe in the sacredness of liberty of conscience. Remembering that slice of church history may even spark something in Christians everywhere to navigate the way for liberty to be defended again in trying times. Well, our special guest today says, Conscience is the sole jurisdiction of the King of Kings, not of an earthly man. The Reverend Matthew Littlefield is the pastor of New Beef Baptist Church on the southwest side of Brisbane. He's co-author of the book, Defending Conscience, How Baptists Reminded the Church to Defy Tyranny. He's also a writer for the news, opinion and commentary site Cauldron Pool on history, politics, theology and social issues and he was co-author of the Ezekiel Declaration. Matthew, a special welcome along to 2020. Hi Neil, thanks for having me here today. Matthew, let's start with something of a modern context and then we'll jump back into some history and say... Uh, Why do Baptists think the way they do or why ought they think the way that some of those earlier Baptists did? But there's a context here. You and your colleagues wrote an open letter decrying segregation and the need to maintain liberty of conscience regarding matters around vaccination. It's a hot topic, uh, but there's a context here in which our conversation will happen today. Yeah, we saw... Over the last couple of years, just in many ways, how people's lives were taken over in a, in a way that we'd never seen before in Western society. And we were getting very concerned about where this was heading. And when the QR codes came in and we saw the potential for how these could be used and how they were being used in other countries, we became very concerned about the, uh, the mandating of vaccinations and the mandating of segregation via vaccination. So that's what inspired us to write it. So when you've got Christians who will say, oh, we just need to do what the government says because they're keeping us safe, there's a principle here which overrides some of those safety factors and that actually determines the way you think about liberty of conscience. How do you describe there's a different Christian position than just the thought of safety? The simplest way to answer that question, I think, is to point out that the... Romans 13 very clearly delineates authority to the government to enforce the law and punish criminals. But the early Baptists argued very clearly that the authority that they have in in Romans 13 only pertains to the second tablet of the law, uh, particular crimes such as theft and murder and and, and such. 
but not things of conscience, things of belief. And so that creates a clear distinction of where the authority can be applied. As Christians, we're interested in eternal things. So we're interested in who God is in our lives today. And with your Baptist foundation here and the way you've been writing about these issues, how do you see the context of where we are in relation to we've got a transcendent God? Uh, We've got governments that are in place. We've got church authorities. And here we are trying to discern where we fit in the whole thing. How do you describe the way the context works there? Well, I would put it very simply. The the Baptist position is that we have God who reigns as sovereign over the world. We all, we all, Every Christian agrees with that. But the Baptist position is not that the state sits over the church, but the state and the church are separate authorities with separate jurisdictions, separate spheres of authority, as one scholar put it. And in each of their spheres, spheres of authority, they have the ordained will of God to, to enforce commands. Outside of their spheres of authority, they're acting in rebellion. And if you don't have that sort of context, uh, all you've got is uh, authorities that rise up and fight for power over the individual. Exactly correct. Where there is no God, then the state becomes God. Where there is no God that we can trust in and fear, then we, we rely on the biggest power in society, and there is no bigger power than the government. And so people then turn to the government to protect them and keep them safe and help them feel safe rather than trusting in the Lord. Now, the government does have a role in mandating order in society. We don't deny that, and Baptists have always taught that. And, and Christians are right to believe that. But that role has limits, and that's just simply what the Baptists have believed historically. So our relationship with the government isn't that the government is entirely right 100% of the time and uh, they've always, you know, in their own think tanks, been able to assess what is absolutely right for everyone. What we as Christians do is we say God is the one who is most important here. Absolutely correct. So when we're actually living our lives and uh, we come across uh, crises like the COVID pandemic, uh, it's easy then to just get caught into, you know, the whirlpool of getting sucked into what the authorities are saying. Somehow or other, you've got to be able to separate yourself to be recognizing where God fits in all of this. Yeah, absolutely correct. I mean, early 2020, everyone was concerned about what was what was coming. And everyone was watching. I mean, I don't know if you saw these, but we saw videos coming online of people falling over in the streets in China. It was quite terrifying at the perspective of what was coming. And what happened is, in a large way, because the fear spread throughout society, uh, people automatically got into a state of anxiety. And in that situation, the government was able to take a position of power and authority, which was unforeseen, really, in our nation and in the West for quite some time. If you don't have that solid, I, I preached a very simple sermon in, in uh, I think it was in May 2020, that which you fear will control you. And that's why the Bible tells us to fear God. If you fear God, then you want to do what he says. But if you don't fear God, you will fear something else. It may be state power, it may be loss of career, it may be, might be a loved one, it might be anything else, right? You will fear something. And so we have to have as the basis, foundation of our lives, the fear of the Lord. Now, you and uh, your uh, colleague, Tim, uh, have written a book, uh, the book called Defending Conscience, How Baptists Reminded the Church to Defy Tyranny. 
Uh, let's talk about the Baptist Church here, because you're a Baptist pastor, and I'm going to invite listeners shortly to uh, let us know what your perceptions are of the Baptist Church uh, today. Uh, but the Baptist Church, reminding the church to defy tyranny. We have to just look into some history here, and I know you're across the history, and I know this is going to be a surprise for some listeners who might hear this, because a lot of people think, oh, Baptists, they're just nice people, aren't they? Just do some nice, quiet stuff on a Sunday, and they worship together. Uh, they're always dressed up nicely. Uh, I love Baptist people, but there's something actually uh, an extra dimension deeper when you look into the history. Absolutely correct. When you look at the the, the early Anabaptist movement, which was sort of the forerunners of the Baptist Church, and they were the, they were in Switzerland and in Germany and areas like that in Europe. They had a very simple understanding of the interaction between God's word and the Christian life. We submit to God's word over all else. I mean, that is just simple basic Christianity today. Most Protestant churches believe that today. But in the 16th century, it was radical. In fact, it, Martin Luther himself said it, uh, and it, many people are aware of the reformer Martin Luther. But what the Anabaptists noticed is that Luther was willing to rely on church tradition to a level that they were not. And so the early Anabaptists were willing to step outside of that church tradition and evaluate every single thing they believed according to the Word of God, which we would just consider basic Christianity today. In the 16th century, that was radical. In fact, it was so radical, it could get you killed. The Anabaptists believed when the Word of God says to be baptized, and and that meant they actually did it by pouring, but that meant as a believer, you had to believe that Jesus Christ had died for your sins to be able to qualify for baptism. When they saw that in the scriptures, they put it into practice. And to do that in the 16th century was a revolutionary radical act. To be called an Anabaptist in the 16th century was effectively to be called the most radical, uh, almost, uh, how do I put it today? Um, you could call them an anti-vaxxer, I guess, or something akin to that. And, and people might say, well, Matt, you can't say that. Well, if you actually read the history, you'll see no one wanted to be associated with the Anabaptist movement because they were considered the most radical Christians of their day. And we're talking here, I guess, not just about a church controversy, because this actually flowed over to the relations between government and kings of the day, uh, and it became a radical movement. Absolutely correct. See, when you were born in a Christian country in the 16th century, you were baptized into the church, and being baptized into the church made you a citizen of the particular nation that you were a part of, uh, and you would probably be part of what was really the Holy Roman Empire in Northern Europe at the time. And so when when you actually said you're breaking with that and you're going to get baptized as a believer, what you're actually saying to the government is we are, we are going our own way in our faith. Now, to put that into practice, what that meant to the 16th century leadership was you were treasonous because you were no longer following the, the, the state which they decreed Sorry, the religion that the state decreed you should follow. So to, to read the Word of God and come to your own conclusions wasn't just something of a disagreement like we might have today, which is why we have different churches and different opinions on certain things. It was considered a treasonous act, and that's why they executed them. How about Baptists today? Do you think the ordinary Baptist who sits in the pew on a Sunday appreciates some of these foundations in the Baptist church? 
I think there are some that do, but there's many that aren't aware of it. And that's why we wrote the book. See, after we published the Ezekiel Declaration, where we were just defending liberty of conscience, believe it or not, we didn't expect it to get the kind of controversial response that it got. I remember even at the time, I believe it was Martin Isles said, well, this is just very simple. We don't segregate. Uh, and liberty of conscience is a very simple Christian uh, belief. But what we were surprised by was how many Christians, and particularly Baptists, weren't aware of the deep tradition of this teaching within the Baptist church and 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 how early Baptists have been so dedicated to dedicate uh, to living their lives to defend it. And so that's why we wrote the book. We, what we want to do in the book is it's very simple. We want to show you just how inspirational these early Baptists were. They were willing to give their lives to say no to the state, not 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 in areas the state had authority. The Baptists believed that there was a God-given role for the government. But in areas where the state did not have authority, these guys were willing to say, sorry, we can't go along with you. And that is inspirational. That is powerful. I mean, it's like reading Fox's Book of Martyrs, but the Reformation version. Now, the Ezekiel Declaration, it made real ripples. It was an open letter. It was written by a, a number of your colleagues uh, who were, I think they all Baptist pastors, and uh, a reminder to people that there is a Baptist church that recognizes there needs to be a separation of conscience here. The conscience before God reminds the government, reminds the authorities uh, that there is a different position and we're actually reminding the people who follow us in the Baptist church uh, that these things are where we would stand. And you got lots of criticism. Was there criticism within the Baptist church? Because I know there was some significant criticism came from the Anglicans and uh, you know they were dissecting every little uh, theological part of uh, your uh, Ezekiel uh, declaration. What sort of, you know, what sort of fiery criticism were you receiving around that time? Uh, it was very interesting. So, yeah, there was some criticism from our own denomination, more just from the sense that they didn't want to speak publicly on the issue, and they distanced themselves from our statement. And I want to just make this very clear while I'm here on the radio. When we wrote this, we wrote this in consultation with our churches. We didn't do it as representatives of the Baptist Union. Um, but we did do it as representatives of the Baptist tradition. And so there was a lot of criticism. And one, one, of, the things which, one of the things which people kept saying is, look, we agree with you that this goes too far, but we shouldn't speak out against it. We should just focus on the gospel. Now, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an evangelist. I love to share the gospel. I just was out at South Bank, not last Sunday, the Sunday before, sharing the gospel with some of the young adults in my church and others. Of course, the gospel is primary, and we don't want to deny the gospel. But the gospel says that Christ is Lord. And the gospel says our bodies were bought with a price. And 1 Corinthians 6 says, because our bodies are bought with a price, we shouldn't unite them in particular things, in particular sins. Now, I'm not saying getting a vaccine is a sin at all. What I'm saying is that there are certain issues of application to society which are directly relevant to the gospel. Our bodies are bought with a price. And if our bodies are bought with a price, then who owns them? The Lord. And if the Lord owns them, then who can decree that you have to have something in your body you don't want? No one. No man has authority over your body. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. 
Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Some perceptions today around the Baptist Church. And, of course, in the context of what we're talking about, uh, vaccination, uh, the Ezekiel Declaration. Our special guest is Matthew Littlefield. He's the pastor of the New Beef Baptist Church, Greenbank in Brisbane, co-author of the book Defending Conscience, How Baptists Reminded the Church to Defy Tyranny, co-authored with Timothy Grant, a pastor from uh, Mount Isa. Uh, We're taking calls. Why don't we take some calls, Matthew? Belinda is on the line from Adelaide. Hello, Belinda. Welcome. Thank you. Um, It is absolutely brilliant to hear this discussion. I really appreciate what you've brought to the table, Matthew. And I just wanted to say that um, I had met with my Baptist pastor um, about a month ago and just wanted to know what his personal convictions were about the whole COVID, the mandates, the vaccines, etc., and what his stand was as a church. And, And listening to this discussion has been really encouraging because it was basically told to me if the if the government says do it you just do it because we are called to submit to the government and I can show you in Romans what we need to do and so I challenged him by saying well what about our conscience um and just like you just shared our bodies have been bought with a price and so the coercion the um mandates, everything that's surrounding it and adverse reactions, um, shouldn't we be giving that to the Lord and individually praying with our own conscience what we feel is right for our body and it should be our choice. And basically it was, well, the government said it, we should do it, and that's what I'm telling people from the pulpit. And, And to be honest, I just walked away absolutely blown away by that response that you just leave your brain at the door and just do as you're told. Belinda, good thought. Matthew, your response for Belinda? The early church very much lifted up the concept of liberty of conscience. And I'm sorry that happened to you, Belinda. I really am. Uh, In the early church, uh, we all know slavery was a big part of the ancient world. In fact, it was a big part of the ancient world. In the Roman world, uh, a slave master could do basically whatever they wanted with a slave. It was, it's, which is quite a horrific world to live in. What changed that? Well, what changed that was the Christian belief that Christ is Lord and Christ is Lord of the body. And so the, the church started telling Christian slave owners, you can't do what you want to the body of a slave. In fact, this, this teaching flowed through culture and eventually Constantine, who we all know was baptized late in his life and, and gave sort of a, um, a, started to tolerate Christianity in his reign. He actually said, because the slave has the image of God in their face, and every human being has the image of God in their face, that masters cannot brand the slave. And over time, what this teaching did is it actually taught the world that one man, one person does not own the body of another person. Very simple. To us today, that is just basic common sense. In the ancient world, that was not only not common sense, it was radical, and it was a radical teaching which came from the church. And we want to remind people of the source of that teaching. If it wasn't for that Christian idea that one that the body is the Lord's, then slavery wouldn't have been defeated in the ancient world, and it wouldn't have been defeated again by men like William Wilberforce. And so these ideas are so important to understand, and understanding the correct division of Romans 13, which, which says very clearly that the government has the ability to punish evil, those who commit evil acts. Saying you don't want something in your body because your conscience says you can't have it is not an evil act.
Belinda in Adelaide, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. And let's take some more calls. Peter is in Perth. Hello, Peter. Welcome. Yeah, how you going, mate? Very good. Peter, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I just wanted to say thanks to Matt for speaking up. I think we need more um, men of God preaching the truth. It's just great to hear. Matthew? Thanks, Peter. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you for that comment. And uh, Interestingly here, uh, when we uh, talk about uh, uh, the, uh, the way this is all unfolding, uh, that the church doesn't just roll over, there's a certain sense here. Sometimes I get the impression that uh, there are some believers who think that what we learn in church is a little bit like learning some fun stories and even fairy tales, but there's a real-life substantial application to these principles as you describe those around slavery and as we're talking about uh, vaccination these real life principles apply to our lives no matter what age we're in absolutely correct john bunyan you guys are aware of who john bunyan is the famous writer of amazing grace the the greatest hymn arguably of all time and there are many great hymns but it's one of the best at least he argued in in his day that he could see why somebody in their conscience would take the smallpox vaccine. He understood. He said somebody might, in their conscience, get to a position where they believe that God is sovereign over their life and God holds their life and he knows what's going to happen, so they will take it in faith. And he said, and I can also see why another Christian might say that their conscience says they shouldn't take it, that they should trust in the Lord that he has their days numbered and therefore they're just going to trust in that and not take it. In other words, several hundred years ago, this discussion was already had in the church and it, and they agreed it was a conscience issue, something that people should disagree over. The gospel and the teachings of scripture have incredible application to society. Let's take another call. Bernadette is in Kingston in South Australia. Hi, Bernadette. Welcome. Hi there. Look, I, I, I'm really. I just. I'm finding this whole discussion now. Now, um, it's refreshing because, um, you know, I just. I do pray for the government, and God says to obey the government. But on there's some issues lately. I'm feeling like our freedoms are going, and it's God first, and and our bodies do belong to the Lord. He made them, and yeah, yeah. I, I just think. Even in the church that I'm going to, I think I was told that um, it's a good idea to go and have the injection because you know it's all. I think there's so much fear based because you might get sick or something like that. And I and I most of the people in the church I go to have had the injection. Right? I haven't, <laughs> and there was lots of stuff happening because of that. And I, I thought, well, that's their choice, and I, I respect. I still respect our minister, and I still respect those people, and I love them. But I chose not to, and and I just think we. I put God first. I do pray for the government, but in this instance, there's a lot of things that they're saying and doing that I, I don't feel right. Like I found out that the Pfizer injection parts of them made them aborted, like babies, baby parts, and I thought, well, how can I, in good conscience, even do that? Put an injection into my arm, whether that's that's come from that sort of thing. I I don't, and I think people still have it should have a choice about things, and I think people are are frightened because they think they're going to get sick and they think, well, the government's going to look after us. But I'm thinking, what what does God say? Check what God's saying about this. Don't just blindly be like sheep 
yeah, the government does look after us. I'm not saying they haven't tried to protect people in the crisis, but still, we still should have a choice. And what's God saying in the situation? Isn't, it, isn't God first? Isn't he supreme? And shouldn't we have a holy fear of God? And if we've got a holy fear of God, we just have to obey him first. And Bernard, Bernard first you're and making some fear. great points here. And uh, some of those issues uh, that you've discussed, we've talked about on this program a number of times, and uh, you know, issues around aborted fetuses and things like that, and, uh, and uh, brought some clarity on those things. And it might be interesting, and I'll get your thoughts for Bernadette, but, but we're not actually having necessarily today a vax or non-vax uh, or anti-vax conversation today, insofar as we're talking about where the Christian conscience lies when we are being coerced. A uh, thought or two here for Bernadette. It's absolutely, you're absolutely correct, Neil. At, at the core of this issue is the concept of conscience. And that's one of the things that people misunderstood when they read the Ezekiel Declaration. We got called all sorts of different things. You know, I know people who signed it who are on both sides of whether or not they wanted to get it. But what is really important, and what I'm hearing from Bernadette here, is someone whose conscience is tormented. And this is what's happening in our society right now. The coercion, to me, personally, the coercion is the most wicked thing which is happening right now. And and the church's responsibility is to cry out like Isaiah in Isaiah 10, woe to those who pass unjust laws, unjust decrees. There is a lot in the scriptures which talk about, yes, there are, there are times when we need to listen to those who are over us and obey and submit to our authorities. There are also times when we need to challenge them and say, look, you can't do that. Nathan to David is a very good example of someone who spoke up. And, 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 and the issue of conscience, and look, there are things which are not conscience issues. Like I said before, things like murder and theft, these are not conscience issues. And these are issues where the government has every right to punish. And that is their God-given role. And we need the government to do their God-given role because it brings order in society. But the torment, and what I hear in someone who's really struggling like Bernadette there is someone whose conscience is not being listened to in an issue where we have no clear command. Is there a clear command in Scripture on this? Absolutely not. And so because there's no clear command, we need to have freedom for people to be free to make that decision, to talk with their doctor, to talk with those that they respect, and to make that decision freely, which is actually something which, if people remember correctly, the Prime Minister himself has been saying for quite some time now. So this is really a mainstream position. Let me just ask you about your book, uh, Matthew, Defending Conscience, uh, How Baptists Reminded the Church to Defy Tyranny, uh, co-authored by uh, Timothy Grant. Uh, the book, how's it going? And, uh, you know, can listeners easily get a hold of it? Yeah, the book is uh, pretty much complete. We've sent it to the publishers. for They're putting it together now. You can get hold of it on defendingconscience.com and you can pre-order it. If you pre-order it, you get it for $30. I think when it's once it's published, it'll be $39.99 or something like that. But defendingconscience.com. And yeah, we've Tim and myself, we've it's fully been written. It's been edited and, and we've sent it to our publisher, which is Lock Press. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it'll be out soon. And, of course, uh, the Ezekiel Declaration, which is also front in mind for a lot of listeners who were very excited that there was a group of pastors who were writing this open letter and challenging some of the, the things that were happening at the height of the pandemic and the, and the move towards mandates. Uh, Tim Grant, who we've been talking about as your co-author in Mount Isa, it was uh, primarily his idea to write the Ezekiel Declaration. Yeah, so Tim was inspired by a similar declaration in England, which was put together, I believe, by Anglican ministers over there. And so uh, he, he noticed that he and I had some similar uh, 
ideas on what was happening in society. And so he contacted me and said, Matt, would you like to be part of an open letter that I'm doing? And I'm like, for sure. <laughs> uh, and so uh, he sent it to me. Uh, we, we actually did it on Google Docs. Uh, we wrote it. He, he'd already done part. I added a couple of points and then we did some feedback. And then Warren McKenzie came in a little bit after that and added his portion in as well. Uh, but yeah, Tim, Tim had been reading a lot of stuff about the Soviet takeover of Eastern Europe and and in in the 20th century. And he was really inspired by certain acts of certain members of the church in Eastern Europe and also disappointed in the acts of other members of the church in Eastern Europe. And he was starting to see so many similarities from what he was reading in those books that he was inspired to put it together. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Marie is in on Mount Tambourine in Queensland. Hello, Marie. Welcome. Hi, how are you doing today? Very well, Marie. What are your thoughts? Um, my thoughts is that um, love the Baptist. I got saved in a Pentecostal church, and um, I love and I've worked with um, a lot of the Baptists uh, in the past, um, and I believe that they do believe the Word of God, and I believe personally the Word of God is truth. Um, in the events that we've gone through lately, I believe. This should be a wake-up call to all believers, followers of Jesus, in regards to what's happening in our world today. It's not just happening in Australia, it's happening worldwide. And I believe as believers, we need to be seeking God and we need to be reading His Word and implementing His truths and His Word. I love how your guest speaker has said that he's an evangelist. This is the season where we as believers should be pointing to the Word of God to all the unbelievers and and revealing the truth of what the Gospel says for our generation today and for the future because what concerns me is if we're not as believers going to the Word of God and standing on the convictions of the Word of God, What's to say you're going to um, take the mark of the beast at, in the end times? Marie, you're making some amazing points here. Didn't want to cut you short at all. Uh, Matthew, your thoughts for Marie? If your life is not based... Uh, by the way, thank you for that, Marie. Uh, but if your life is not based on the Word of God, then you live on sinking sand. And that is true for an individual, it's true for a family, and it's true for a society. And, and we're, we're, what have we seen over the last... 50 years or even more, probably since just after World War II, we've seen the decline of Christianity in the West. And <laughs> and, and just like ancient Israel, uh, the West has decided, you know, we don't need God. Uh, we, we can do it our own way. And what happens when a society goes against the, the teachings of God? We see it in the Bible with Israel. We see these times of, of decline and then repentance. We see great kings like Hezekiah and Josiah and terrible kings like Jeroboam and Ahab. And when terrible kings come along, it causes all sorts of troubles for the people. And we see in the Western society today a lot of the same stuff happening. Now, there's also green shoots and a lot of amazing stuff happening. The gospel is going forth. I mean, we see that God is spreading the gospel through the world and his church is being built. It is not failing. It is advancing. And it's just, it's awesome to be a part of God's church. But you're absolutely correct, Marie. We have to be, our lives have to be based on the Word of God and sharing that Word of God. And, and this is what's really cool. This time of trial has been a time of proving. And in times of proving, people who weren't necessarily as interested in God before start to 
become interested. And I've seen a lot of openness and unbelievers, and in, in particular people I know that wasn't there before these times. And so this is a great opportunity for the church to get out there with the gospel in so many different ways and reach people. Marie, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. You might have your own perception of the Baptist Church and on issues around conscience. We're talking about defending conscience. We're talking about a book, a new book that is about to be released. You can pre-order this book. Much of the book, Matthew, uh, it's about history and uh, the many ways that Baptists stood up for conscience over the centuries. And uh, and I know you like to, to talk about, uh, you know, getting most things right. Well, the, the Baptist Church got a lot of things right, but it didn't get everything right. And so it when you read our book, if you're interested in reading it, what you're going to see is about 75% of the book is dealing with uh, the historical stands of the Baptist Church. You've got the Anabaptists of the 16th century. You've got the the might of the the, the, the English Baptists of the 17th, uh, and then you've got the English, uh, sorry, the American Baptists of the 17th century as well. And we see so many ways Baptists were at the forefront. Isaac Bacchus in the 17th century is at the forefront of fighting for conscience in America. So was Roger Williams. So was Thomas Ellis in England. But the Baptist Church also had some failures, and, and one of those big failures was prohibition in the United States. Many people, when they when they talk about Baptists today, they're like, oh, you're a Baptist, you guys don't drink alcohol. I remember once I was talking to a guy and I said, I liked a glass of red wine every now and then. He's like, I thought you were a Baptist minister. Yeah. <laughs> and we have this real reputation for being against alcohol. And the reason we have that reputation is because, and a lot of people don't know this, but the Baptists and the Methodists together, but particularly the Baptists, were the driving force of not just talking about the dangers of alcohol, which is wise, we have to talk about that, but actually getting alcohol outlawed in the United States. Now, many people look back at Prohibition as this absolute disaster because it inspired all this criminal activity and and it ended up being worse than the problem they were seeking to solve. But not a lot of people are as aware of the deep Baptist involvement in that. And so one of the things Tim wanted and myself wanted to show in the book is what the Baptist church looked like at its best but also what it looked like at its worst. And what you'll notice is the difference that has on a society. And this isn't just true for the Baptist church. I mean, obviously I'm a Baptist pastor and it's about, and we're trying to inspire you with the Baptist history of liberty of conscience, but this is true for the church in general. When the church is at its best and when you out there, you believers are out there advocating for things like the gospel, for liberty of conscience, for families, and for these, these, these beneficial things, society improves. But when we when we get on board of things like coercion of conscience, which is what the church, what the Baptist Church did in Prohibition, then that causes great pain and suffering for a society. We are taking calls one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take another call. Phil is in Rockhampton. Hello, Phil. Welcome. Hello, Phil. What are yeah, your good thoughts? Good to hear what you what you're saying. What are your thoughts then, Phil? Have you got a question or a point uh, to make? Yeah, I've been inspired to ring because uh, I've been a Baptist since I was a young fellow and very involved, and the church has also supported me. But I've just found with our local Baptist church, they've embraced all these um, measures of the government without question, and I can't agree with that. So I'm actually fellowshipping somewhere else at the moment. So um, just as I look at 
what the government are doing, interfering in people's individual lives, uh, the church, and um, taking away people's livelihoods. So my wife, my daughter, myself uh, are all unemployed because we haven't complied with the vaccination mandate. And uh, I know people have lost businesses and all sorts of things. So I can't see this as being something that God would uh, endorse. It's uh, not the not the God that I know, and so I can't comply with these things. And uh, Phil, I think you're making some very significant points here. Uh, you, as an issue of conscience, decide not to abide by the mandates, but your church is not supporting you. That's a, a serious sort of thing, I guess, in a conversation context like today. Uh, Matthew, your thoughts for Phil? It, it saddens me when I hear that uh, churches aren't standing with people who make that decision. And look, I, I think people have liberty of conscience. And if people want to make a separate decision, the, you know, the opposite decision, we should, you, know, you could support that as well. But some churches have decided to take a really strong stance that if you don't get this, then you deserve what you're getting. One way that I've heard some people put it is, oh, those who've lost their jobs have just made a choice. They've just made a choice. Well, no, they, they, they built a career, they studied, they worked hard, they got a particular qualification or a particular experience in a job, and they were doing a good job. And they were doing that job for some time. And they were doing that job under certain conditions. And then out of nowhere, in a way that it's never been done before, people were told that they would be fired if they did not comply with a particular medical mandate. Now, that has never been done on a society-wide level like this before. It might be done in certain particular professions, but in those particular professions where it's done, people go into those professions knowing that, and they make that choice, and they have that choice. But for those who've had it just sprung on them like that, I'm just going to put this bluntly. When someone takes something that is not their right to take, that is called theft. And people have had their jobs stolen from them, and it's not right. And the church has a responsibility to call out theft. I mean, to me, it's just very simple. And it really saddens me when I hear that. And one of the reasons, as I said before, that Tim and I wrote... Actually, we were initially going to write this book. We were writing it as a series of articles. And the reason we wanted to write them was just very simple. We were shocked at how few people actually understood how the church had made our culture as good as it did. And we were just throwing it away in a moment of anxiety. Throwing things away in a moment of anxiety and uh, no doubt beyond the anxiety of COVID, there'll be more anxieties to come. But Phil, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316. We're talking about the Baptist Church and uh, what comes to mind as I hear just reflecting on Phil there and, uh, and it doesn't matter what church you're a part of. Some churches have very much a congregational governance uh, and others have more a Presbyterian and that's getting into another sort of way that churches uh, function uh, by way of their governance. But, But the people, especially in a congregational setting, have real power. Uh, to actually say this is where we as a church ought to be standing. And uh, you get to 
have a debate about that. As somebody said, uh, put three Baptists together and you've got five opinions. <laughs> and uh, so no doubt around the table, uh, those sorts of things can be argued. And uh, the arguing is actually quite a good and strength and and health, uh, strengthening and healthy thing. Your thoughts here for uh, for those who are in churches, whether they be Baptist or whether they be other churches that uh, we could name, uh, but uh, what sort of power do you think the people have if they have this understanding? Well, my my impression of pretty much every pastor I've met, most pastors I've, I've met at least, is that they love their people and they care about their people and they want to do what's best by their people and so they want to hear what their people think. A good pastor, and and like I said, this is most pastors I've met, they want to hear what their people think, how the decisions they're making or the, or the positions that they're holding, how it affects people. I mean, obviously also pastors want to stand on the Word of God and stand clearly on the Word of God. But on issues where society is putting massive pressure, sometimes what pastors can do is just like, if we just shut this off and we just don't talk about it, it'll go away. It's been over two years now and it hasn't gone away. Uh, so if you haven't been talking about it with your people or there's been people who want to... Who want to talk about it in your church? My encouragement is to those people in those churches: just try to have a dialogue with your pastor, take him out for a coffee. Uh, if if you don't have direct access to your pastor because you're in a larger church, talk to one of the leadership team and work through the processes that you have. I think talking through these issues is really important. There's also another element of it, and I think most people are going to agree with me here, but you might not. We're, we're so over this, this whole yep. situation. Yep. And so there's that element. And so, to some degree, some people are like, oh my goodness, can we just move on? And I think it would be good if we could just move on. I just don't see it happening yet. Maybe it is, and maybe we're going to be able to, and praise God if we can. But there's still going to be people who have been hurt in this process, and I think they need to be talked to. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's see if we can squeeze in another one or two. Teresa is in Bundaberg, Queensland. Hello, Teresa. Welcome. Hi, thank you. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, I, I agree with what um, was just said. Look, I, I'm really over this. I, I lost my job just on the cusp of COVID uh, when it all started. Uh, I have been studying for the last um, couple of years. I got a graduate diploma in community services. That's of no avail to me anymore because I have to have a jab, so I can't work, can't, can't. Um, fulfill what I wanted to be and that was a caseworker. Uh, I, I'm also a highly qualified person in in many, many areas with certificates and uh, I've been to university, um, you know, but none of that has really helped me because now the jobs that I want to do, I can't do because I, I, I'm not, um, well, jabbed. I won't say vaccinated because I don't look at it as a vaccination. Uh, so I can't get back into the healthcare uh, region, which is where I have done a lot of my work. Uh, so I've had to re try and reinvent myself. I've lived in this region for 17 years. I've spent the last 15 years looking for full-time work. Uh, I am unemployed at the moment. Uh, and, uh, you know, the only thing that I can... My scope is limited. My scope yeah. has... Teresa, you're in that sense of what we're talking about here because you have taken a position on conscience. Uh, you're denied uh, the opportunity to use your skills and the healthcare system is weakened because your strengths are not being used there. Uh, Matthew, your thoughts for Teresa? 
I think this is just Teresa. What's happened to you is unjust. It is it is wicked. It is unjust, and it is it is wrong. I have friends, and this is one of the reasons why I speak out about this. I have good friends, some highly smart, intelligent people. You know, some of the best people I know who cannot work in their profession right now. Jobs they've done faithfully. Some of them are health professionals, teachers, all sorts of stuff. This is unjust, and it's foolish. In the height of a pandemic, firing medical professionals. And and also, people who... Uh, there's a lot I could say here, but I just see that as... In, it's unjust, and I think the church has a responsibility to speak out against un- injustice. Teresa, thank you so much for your call. Let's see if we can squeeze one more in. Peter is in Melbourne. Hello, Peter. Welcome. Hello, Neil. Hi, Peter. What are your thoughts? Um, I was very interested in in, um, in the, the discussion on prohibition. And, uh, of course, we always should have the right of whatever we have into our, is put into our body. But that uh, I was wondering what your thoughts were in regard to legalising uh, marijuana and drugs, because, hey, uh, this is a very curly question. So your comments, please. Uh, Matthew, is there a connection here between the sorts of uh, conscience we're talking about and some of the issues that are coming, like uh, decriminalisation of drugs and such things? Uh, Drugs are incredibly dangerous in, in so many different ways. Uh, in societies where they're not criminalized, they devastate. And in societies where they are criminalized, they devastate. I, I don't actually feel qualified to give an answer directly on that. I would have to think about it a lot more. But what I can point to is I know in Portugal and Switzerland, they've tried programs where they use... There is one thing I do know about it, and that's this. People do drugs because they're broken and they're lonely and they're trying to fill something in their life. And it might come from different situations. And so I think we, we need to punish drug dealers. We need to punish them. What they do is wicked, right? Everyone agrees with that. Uh, but for those who are struggling with it, I think we need to use social community and church ministries to help these people heal because that's what's going to help them get over it. But as far as I, I, I just don't think you can say that a drug dealer is someone who's good for society. Peter, thank you so much for your call. Time has run out. And I just want to point listeners to how you can pre-order this book we're talking about today. It's called Defending Conscience, How Baptists Reminded the Church to Defy Tyranny. As we said, it's primarily about some of the history. And so realigning what Baptists think on these sorts of issues and uh, conscience right at front and centre and where God is in the mix. Uh, It's co-authored. Our special guest today, Matthew Littlefield, and his uh, colleague, Pastor Timothy Grant, who's the pastor of the Baptist Church in Mount Isa. Now, you can pre-order that uh, book when you go to lockpress.com. You mentioned another website too, uh, Matthew. Which one was that one? Defendingconscience.com. So DefendingConscience.com, you can connect directly with Matthew at the New Beef Baptist Church, Green Bank in Brisbane, on the south side of Brisbane, NewBeefBaptist.com. And you can also read a lot of the articles. Matthew is a contributor to the Cauldron Pool. Now, that's a website uh, which is uh, very open uh, with opinion, commentary, 
and about news on history, politics, theology, and social issues, uh, you can be out. You can check out Cauldron Pool, cauldronpool.com. Uh, Matthew, just a pleasure having you in today, and uh, all the best with the book. And thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with listeners today on 2020. Thanks for having me here, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.